Welcome to Big Skywriter, the podcast for storytellers of all shapes and sizes. Here's the host of Big Skywriter, Clint Morey. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for dropping by to listen. Now, today I'd like to tell you a story. It's a true story. It happened a little over 100 years ago, September 9th, 1919, to be exact. In the history books that bother to mention it, it's known as the Boston Police Strike. A little background before we get into the story. World War I began in 1914, and the United States would enter the conflict in 1917. The fighting was vicious, and more than 10 million soldiers died. Most of the soldiers would die in battle, but almost a third died from infections or disease, and millions of civilians would also die because of the war. And then, on November 11, 1918, the war officially ended, and the soldiers of the world returned to their homes. Unfortunately, they brought with them something they had picked up during the war, and that something came to be called the Spanish Flu. Worldwide, anywhere from 20 million to 100 million people would die from that flu. In America, more than 675,000 Americans would die from the Spanish flu. In fact, more American soldiers died of the flu than were killed on the battlefield during the war. Businesses were shuttered, people wore masks, churches and schools were closed, and dead bodies were collected in large numbers. But by the end of summer in 1919, the pandemic came to an end. And now, let's return to our story. The city of Boston had a police force of over 1,000 officers. The officers felt they were underpaid, overworked, and had to endure terrible working conditions. Let me give you an idea of their situation. The salary of a patrolman who had been with the department for six years was $1,400 a year. In today's money, that would be like $23,800, which can you imagine a policeman working for that salary today? But a rookie officer made only half that, $730 for their first year. And that wasn't all. Officers worked 10-hour shifts each day, seven days a week, an average between 75 and 98 hours per week, depending on their shift. They did get one day off, however, after 14 consecutive days on duty. They were required to live in the station houses, most of which had been built prior to the Civil War, and most of them lacked decent facilities. In fact, in one station, there were four toilets and one bathtub, for the 135 police officers who called the place home. They weren't even allowed to leave the city without permission. To say that the police officers had a good case for being underpaid is perhaps an understatement. But negotiations between the group of police officers and the police commissioners did not work out. And so the police began looking at forming a union. Now, you should understand at this time, unions were not considered a good thing. In fact, many considered union activity to be an outgrowth of the communist movement, the movement that overthrew the Russian government and was spreading to other parts of the world. 
Many also felt police officers should not be allowed to join a union because it divided their loyalties. If the union told them to do something and their police department told them to do something, who would the officers obey? The police commission decided to ban any police officers from joining a union. But in August of 1919, the police officers asked for and received a charter from the American Federation of Labor, the AFL, to form a union. The police commissioner refused to meet with any representatives of the union, and in fact he suspended 19 police officers who were involved in its leadership. And then the police union members voted 1,124 to 2 in favor of a strike. And on September 9, 1919, 1,117 of the 1,544 officers and men of the Boston Police Department failed to show up for work. In other words, they went on strike. The newspapers opposed the strike, and they called the strikers Bolsheviks, a reference to those communists who overthrew the Russian government. And even though officials sought to replace the striking officers with volunteers, including students from Harvard, the first night of the strike left Boston with almost no police protection. And if you understand human nature, you probably can guess what happened. There were riots, fights, rock throwing. Street vendors had their carts overturned. Women had purses ripped from their hands. Store windows were smashed and stores were looted. The next night, store owners boarded up their buildings or hired armed guards to keep the people at bay. In just those first two days, nine people were killed and areas of Boston were considered unsafe. Then the governor of Massachusetts, Calvin Coolidge, ordered about 5,000 state troopers into Boston to restore order. That action would make him a national hero, and in fact it would lead to him being put on the Republican nomination for vice president, and later he would become president when Warren Harding died in office. Now the AFL realized that the people and the press strongly opposed the strike, and so they urged the striking police officers to return to work. They also asked that the police officers be reinstated to their jobs. The police commissioner, however, refused to let striking officers return to their jobs and instead recruited over 1,500 new police officers. The newly hired officers were given higher salaries, more vacation days, a retirement plan, and even their uniforms were paid for. Now, it seems to me that had the government done that at the beginning, the strike could have been avoided entirely. And I share this story with you for a reason. Because I think the Boston police strike of 1919 could have been avoided. The nine people who were killed didn't have to die. The 1,100 people who lost their jobs didn't have to lose their jobs. But once we start labeling people and calling each other names, solutions are very hard to come by. And you might want to remember that as we face difficult decisions in our society in the coming months. Will we be able to get past the name-calling and hateful actions, or will we descend into violence? I'm pretty sure it's a choice each of us will have to make. 
Now, before I go, I'd like to share a blessing with you from the Old Testament. May the Lord bless and protect you. May the Lord's face radiate with joy because of you. May he be gracious to you, show you his favor, and give you his peace. Until the next time, be the reason someone smiles today.